0: This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Uniting houndsmen across the globe, from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many, day, how many days a week can you spend on that?
1: As much as I can, to be honest with you. Anytime that I get, I'm, I'm out there.
0: Join us for every heart-pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll
1: tell you like I tell everyone else. I'm going to hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here.
0: Welcome to the Houndsman XP podcast. I'm your host, Chris Powell, and I'm off the road. I've spent the last three weeks... In New Mexico. we hunt a bear for a week down in the Gila. Had a great time down there. Seth came up, Ed Barnes and Tanner her from the Dog Men podcast. Our newest show on the Houndsman XP podcast network joined us for their first ever bear hunts and we had a great time. You can check out the tailgate talks and, and uh, things that we recorded from camp at 7,000 feet over on our Patreon page. Seth's got that stuff all dropped over there. He's doing a great job. You can join us on Patreon by going to HoundsmanXP.com and hitting the Support Us tab. It'll take you right to our Patreon page. And why should you support this show? Why should you be spending your hard-earned money on Houndsman XP? Well, we appreciate every person that already has, but let me lay a few things out for you. First and foremost is the last three weeks that I spent wasn't just hunting. I spent hours in meetings and different things about the Colorado initiative, ballot initiative that's coming up for 2024. I was in contact with the Sportsman's Alliance, CRWM, uh, that's Coloradans for Responsible Wildlife Management, Dan Gates, uh, Outfitters, professional outdoor enthusiasts out there. And we're coming up with a real plan on this thing. So your support helps us continue to bring that message to you. That's one reason. Also, the new Full Cry just rolled out, and it's getting rave reviews. I've, lo- I've read most of it myself. And congrats to Jason and Danny Doobie for reviving Full Cry. Man, I grew up looking at that thing and dreaming about being that houndsman that I was reading about in Full Cry, and it's a great publication, and we're proud to announce that when you join us on Patreon, you will get a complimentary subscription to Full Cry Magazine. That's one reason. The other thing that you're going to get when you join us at the $12 level is a membership to Sportsman's Alliance. So those two things alone are uh, worth about 105 bucks, 110 bucks, somewhere around in there. So if you join us at $12 level for $144, you're already going to get $112 back of that or $110 back of that as soon as you sign up. So we've also got discount codes and all that stuff. Over there, but you can check all that stuff out over on Patreon. I know we're wanting to get to this show, and I hate long pre-rolls. There's way too much um, front-end advertising in these things, but we have to do that to keep keep the lights on and keep rolling here. So, this episode of the Houndsman XP podcast is a prequel, and the reason I'm bringing this up and I'm running this episode now, we featured Dan Gates from. CRWM last week. Well, this podcast was recorded prior to uh the the episode that we dropped last week. And this is Dan Gates. We're going to talk about what the CRWM is. We're going to show you what a good job looks like for your hound organization and how we need to get involved and be supportive of that. So, we're going to give you some background. I'm telling you right now, I'm gonna, I'm going to drop a I haven't decided where I'm going to drop it yet, probably YouTube, probably going to put it on our YouTube channel, but it's going to be a full length video and we're going to talk about what's going on in Colorado, what's happening in New New Mexico, what's happening all across the country and this constant fight that we have against the animal rights movement and the lunacy behind their philosophy on wildlife management. One of the things that I think we need to keep in mind, if you're a houndsman, this directly affects you, okay? It, it, it doesn't matter if you're turning a hound loose in Indiana or Colorado. This affects you because this is a typical example of how... Uh, man, these crazy people are are hijacking responsible wildlife management. And a group that has is basically had no investment in wildlife management for the last 150 years is gaining political traction and putting things on the ballot and they're controlling our destiny. So let's put aside the mountain lion hunting deal. This is a direct attack on what wildlife management really is. I mean, that's, that's what, what the, what the problem is here, folks. They just chose mountain lions because we're an easy mark. We're unorganized, we're disjointed, and uh, we really don't swing that big of a stick in the hunting community. So they were looking at us as chumps and somebody they could pick off. Well, I'm telling you that there's a lot of stuff going on and we're standing up and we're saying, no, we're not. We're not chumps. We're not an easy mark. If you're going to get it, it is going to come at a high price. All right, so I'll climb down off my soapbox. You guys really need to listen to what Dan Gates has to say. They've built a great organization out there. Dan has been doing this for 30 years. I wanted to give you some background on who CRWM is, who Dan Gates is, and why conservation organizations all across the country are backing CRWM and consider Dan Gates the tip of the spear in Colorado. If you're still listening to this pre-roll, then good for you. You're the people that we're talking to. We know that 90% of the people aren't going to do anything. But the 10% of you that will, that's awesome. Man, we need you. Because you know people that I don't know. You have influence with people that will never listen to this podcast. So I want to get right into this interview with Dan Gates. And the CRWM, Coloradans for Responsible Wildlife Management. And if when you decide that you're going to get in this fight and you're going to donate money, time, resources, you're going to know who you're backing and the philosophies of why conservation organizations like CRWM are standing up to this radical leftist animal rights movement and how they are hijacking the things that we've paid for. As hunters, we paid for this wildlife, we've asked to be taxed on this wildlife, and while we are more than happy to share it with everyone, we have paid the heftiest price for it. So here it is folks, this is Dan Gates with CRWM, this is a box shaker, let's get the tailgate down, it's time to dump the box. Good morning. What a beautiful face.
1: Oh yeah. That's what everybody said.
0: (laughs) You look happy. Look at you. You're Monday morning. You're ready to get rolling, make a difference in the world.
1: Yeah. I've been making a difference. I don't know whose difference it's been Chris, but it's been different.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Man. I hear you. I hear you. Well, Dan, I appreciate you taking time to be on the podcast this morning and, um, for this episode, I think it's going to be. I mean, you guys are doing some great uh work out there, and I think it's going to be really informative. And this is going to be for a, an episode for. I think the leadership in all organizations out there that are that are fighting for hunting and hunters' rights and and trying to make it make that difference that you're doing every day, Dan. So I appreciate you coming on.
1: Appreciate you having me, Chris. Uh, it's. Um it's a tumultuous landscape that we're having to deal in for sure. And, and, you know, just trying to put the pieces together in a unknown shaped jigsaw puzzle is probably the the easiest way that I could explain it, because you have to adapt and you have to be able to change. And, and I'm not sure what, what the picture on that jigsaw puzzle is. I think sometimes it's just the cardboard covering on the background. Uh, you know, if you flip that puzzle over, it, it it changes like a uh a, like a chameleon
0: yeah yeah well colorado where you're operating uh it, it's a it's a scary place it's a different place um, it's one of the strangest places that i've i've sat back and watched go from um, a state that appears to You know, by all intents and purposes, it's a, it's a strong outdoor state. It's a strong hunting state. There's a strong heritage there. And yet it's a weird state because of the influence that the non-hunting public and the anti-hunting public can have on rules and policies there.
1: Yeah. And you know, everybody thinks that they, uh, that they have some valued stake in the piece of property, whether it's public or private. And uh, if it's public, they want to make sure that you don't do what you should be able to do. And if it's private, they want to make sure that you don't do what you should be able to do. (laughs) Exactly. uh, (laughs) You know, and and it's it's changed significantly over the course of the last 20 years or so, just because uh, of the population growth. I mean, if you look at some of the stuff that we had to deal with back in the the mid-90s on initiative 10 which was the bear hunting ban with hounds and bait and spring hunting and then subsequently in 1996 with the uh trapping uh constitutional amendment amendment 14 we had 2.9 million people in the state roughly at that time and we're approaching 6 million now and and that anti-hunting um non-consumptive use mentality has has taken over substantially i mean we've got we've got twice as many people now as what we had then and a lot of those people move in to the front range geographical areas within 25 miles east or west of i-25 and for anybody that's familiar with colorado i mean it's just right along the front range Mm -hmm. that's where 75 percent of the state's population is and those people come here for outdoor um Avocational recreation, a lot of them, and if they don't come for that, they come for the, te- the technology industry that is sh- that has increased, you know, similar to the Silicon Valley out in California. And they come here for the beauty and the outside opportunities, but it's their idea of beauty and outside opportunities, and they don't come here for the values and traditions and the heritage, typically, of what Colorado was formulated on, and what our natural resources and wildlife depend on.
0: Yeah. Some of the most hardcore hunters I know live in Colorado, you know, and it's, it's one of those things that really breaks my heart to see, uh, what you guys are, what you guys are having to go through out there. But I think there's a, there's a valuable lesson for, uh, the rest, anybody that's listening to this podcast, there's a valuable lesson here. Everybody sits back and thinks it can't happen in your home state. It can't happen to you. And just like you said, in the last 20 years, we've seen doubling of the population and I want to talk a little bit about, you know, the, the presentation that was recently put on at the outdoorsman convention, outdoorsman days there in Florence, that was just absolutely intriguing to me. But before we get there, Dan, why don't you tell everybody who you are, who you represent and uh, give us a lowdown on, on the kind of work that you are doing in Colorado.
1: Well, Chris, I, I, first of all, I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. And, in, in, uh, you know, while I'm not a celebrity, I've been hitting a fair amount of podcasts and radio shows and television shows and news broadcasts over the course of the last several years. And and uh, uh so first and foremost, I'm a lifetime sportsman. Um, I run and operate a wildlife control business and have for 37 years. Um, everything that we've done in our lives, my wife, my son and myself, Has been revolved around wildlife management, and some of that has to do with you know translocation and habitat restoration and and mitigation efforts without lethal control. But there's a fair amount of lethal control that goes under our business side of things. But but when you translate that into the hunting side of it, there's a fair amount of lethal side on the hunting side. I mean, our our objective is to pursue and harvest, even though a lot of us aren't successful at different levels. Um, But I I I've been affiliated with the Colorado Trappers and Predator Hunters Association and have been the president of that for the last 10 years. And back in 2017, myself and a buddy of mine by the name of Chris Journey, um, we organized and started an organization called the Coloradoans for Responsible Wildlife Management. We did that in 2017 with the goal of trying to provide some sort of connectivity at the Colorado State Legislature, which in 2018, we hired our first lobbyist. And now we've got three full-time lobbyists at the Capitol. In 2018 as well, Governor Jared Polis, an animal activist um individual with his with his spouse, uh Marlon Reese, um, they took office. And I say they because Marlon is pretty much running the animal rights side of things. Right. They took office in 2018. So it it was kind of the 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 imperative times that we had to engage in. And and so we've increased our awareness on the landscape, our relevancy on the landscape. We're the only organization in the state of Colorado that provides lobbying representation at the Colorado State Capitol for sportsmen, women, and conservation efforts. Now, that might sound like that we're putting ourselves on on a pedestal or something, but the the all the acronym organizations that are out there, the the RMEFs and and the NWTFs and the MDFs, they're all part of a coalition that we built, which is called the Colorado Wildlife Conservation Project they do their the yeoman's work of of habitat conservation and wildlife conservation Mm -hmm. Uh, we don't do any of that from the crwm acronym the coloradoans for responsible wildlife management we do the fight right and trying to do that trying Mm -hmm. to do that fight is is a hurdle in itself because you're trying to get to a point where individuals need to see value in what you're trying to produce and what you're trying to conduct and what task is at hand. And if they don't see that there's a fight necessary, it's hard to get them to understand why you're doing what you do, because we don't have a membership organization. We don't give away free knives and backpacks and we don't have magazines and and stuff that we do. And um, we do it off fundraising. We do it off contributions and, and that gives us the opportunity to be able to provide that lobbying representation on, on, on multiple other notes. I've been appointed by by the last three governors in the state of colorado to different boards and committees along with different directors of our colorado parks and wildlife and and i'm vice chair of this or you know chair of that or a committee chair of something on different components and i tell you what chris we're fighting our ass off literally yeah. to get to the point where we can survive to fight another day and The assault that colorado sportsmen and women are under that our habitat and our wildlife resources are under is uh not always it undeniable it might be insurmountable and we're just trying to figure out a way to stay relevant on the landscape uh partner with like-minded organizations which we have a great big coalition of reach outside of our state boundaries and and go to another level on making sure that other states don't fall like what colorado has in the past and while while it's continued downward so i mean that's kind of a, a rundown on <laughs> on me specifically and what we're trying to accomplish um but there's a lot of work to do and and we damn sure haven't haven't accomplished what we what we would like to accomplish
0: man there's a lot of ground to cover just in what you stated right there dan it's a um, you know when, when i look at colorado i i look at it as absolutely the number one battleground state for the future of hunting with hounds in the west um when california fell everybody was like oh well, that's california and we expected that in california and then when oregon and washington uh you know had serious damage to their hound pursuits everybody was like well yeah you know we hate it and it's too bad but uh it was expected because all those californians have moved up north to to portland and seattle so yeah that was But Colorado in my mind is, we can't give any more ground, give up any more ground there because it has been a trend setting state and it's never, it's always been a very traditional state for me because, you know, from being back East, everybody, if they're hunting out West, 90% of the people that I know that go to elk hunt. Or go, you know, go to mule deer hunt, or whatever. If they want to hunt a western state, they're headed to Colorado. I mean, it's just absolutely the most popular state where people have have gone to hunt. And so it's a it's a boundary. It, it's a it's a um, it's a um, battleground state in my mind, and that's why I wanted to have you on. And there's a couple things here that I want to talk about before we get too far to kind of set this up is, you know, you talk about the organization and and everything that you're doing and it being a tough fight and a struggle. And it might seem to the listener, it's like, well, what do you want to talk about what they're doing in Colorado? Cause they keep losing, but, it's one it's not that you're losing it's that you're hanging on and you are surviving. And I think there's a bright future ahead. And I think what you guys are doing sets a perfect model for other states that haven't have May I know Wyoming just came up with a new hound organization. They the leadership from that organization needs to listen to what you're doing in Colorado so that they can be prepared for the future. Montana, utah new mexico arizona even states back east here need to pay attention to see how you're operating and i want to show people what a good job looks like and what a real organization does so let's break down you know you 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 talked about the alphabet soup of rocky mountain elk foundation national wild turkey federation uh you know there's others There the the sheep foundation mule deer foundation so why are they not I think we have to go back to square one. I think when people pay their membership to like the Rocky Mountain Elk foundation, they want the Rocky Mountain Elk foundation to rise up and fight for their rights. And why can't an organization like that do that?
1: Well, first and foremost, Chris, uh, most of those organizations are classified under the the IRS tax structure as 501 C threes as a charitable organization. And, and so it doesn't allow them to do very much, if any, uh, lobbying and campaigning for specific things. Now, they might be able to send out call to action letters and get their memberships to do so. You know, and, and RMEF has some representation in Washington, D.C., but originally those organizations weren't structured 25, 30, 40, 50 years ago to get engaged in the fight because the fight wasn't part of the cause. It was it was, it was part of the stewardship and part of the, the habitat conservation component because of what happened through, you know, history on Dingle Johnson and Pitner Robertson excise taxes and, and what we've done for, you know, charters and bylaws and so forth. Th- that being said, all of those groups, like I say, do the yeoman's work when it comes to what they signed up for, mm-hmm. but they didn't prepare for the onslaught 30, 40, 50 years ago on what we have to deal with in today's environment. And so, while some of them are trying to figure out how to how to adapt and how to you know create a detour and and modify their approach on the landscape, they still have to answer to the members. They still have to answer to board of directors and and through their bylaws and and through their their charters and through their mission statements and so forth. That's the main reason. And we we are a five hundred one c four, so we are not a charitable contribution organization. So if somebody gives us hundred dollars or $10,000. It's not tax deductible. It is on those other organizations. And there's, mm-hmm. that's the driving component. We can do most of our lobbying and campaigning can be conducted under that 501c4. And we do education as well. So it has to be div- divvied up. It's between 51 and 49%, one, one way or the other, education and campaign. When you get into a C3 status, most of those uh, and they might they might expand it a little bit, but most of those are less than 10 percent of their money generated could go to campaigning or into lobbying efforts. Right. So so what they do is they join other organizations or collaborate, eff- collaborative efforts like what we did here, and and it gives them a voice on the landscape, but they can't go and talk about something specific unless it has to do with their specific charter their task and their bylaws within that organization so if something was going to affect habitat rmef and nwtf could could engage in that but if it's outside of that habitat side of things they're starting to they're starting to cross the lines and intersect some things that they maybe shouldn't engage in yeah that's the the main reason
0: the 501c3 deals a slippery slope and the irs is always moving the goalposts on that do you know mainly because of who the sitting at the top of the heap calling the shots at the time you know with every election cycle and when the 501c3 language actually says that an unreasonable amount of your efforts can't be spent on campaign or lobbying type efforts political type stuff well who that is totally wide open for any person to define look at your books and say well we think you're being unreasonable what is unreasonable you know it depends on who's sitting in the you know with their finger on the power button at the time
1: well and and that's why that's why it's so important for for all of us to be members of multiple associations but i got to give i got to give a throw out to like safari club international i mean they have a c4 arm of their c3 Uh, institution and 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 they probably do more on the landscape as a whole than most other of those organizations and i'm not here just to tote sci but they they have offices in washington and then they actually have attorneys throughout the country that they work with or that are established under sci to be able to do exactly what we're talking about most of those other organizations that we're referencing don't have that capability at this point in time because they haven't they haven't diversified enough to be able to do so under the tax code.
0: And that's a, that's a big swamp land to dive into, but, but, um, yeah, you know, you start talking about taxes and different things like that. And, and, you know, I think people donate when they see, uh, the ability to get a tax break, but even when you get into the tax code, you've got to have a certain amount of charitable donation compared to your income for it to count and you can't exceed this and you can't exceed that. So I I'd like to maybe, uh, maybe you're not the, this in the right show to do the to do this on, but sometimes we need, sometimes we need to have, uh, an education class on how do we support a C4 that's getting in the fight and still be able to take that off for taxes and simply set your kennel up as an LLC or a, uh, a sole proprietor and track that membership to like the, uh, your organizations and other organizations that you're paying into, and then you can write it all off as a business expense, but that's a, that's a whole other podcast with with an accountant. Um, let's talk about, you know, and I'm not throwing anybody under the bus because, uh, there's no need to like if I pay my dues and for my audience, let's just dial it down to where my audience might be able to understand it. Or, or I didn't mean to sound like they couldn't understand complex issues. That's not what I'm saying (laughs) at all. It's just oftentimes I see, I see in the hound world, you know, them aggravated and I've been here myself. So I'm going to put myself on this. I used to feel like, some of the registries like United Kennel Club and, and uh, Professional Kennel Club ought to stand up and fight. They ought to stand up and, but that's not their business model. There are other organizations out there that, that are set up for that. And so when we talk about an organization like RMEF, RMEF Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, the work that they've done has been astounding. You know, it really has been, they, they've, they've been a habitat, they've been a resource management advocate and, and we would not have near what we have without them. But how do you, let's, let's really lay it out. How did the Colorado trappers and predator hunters and, uh, how did you build those bridges and what, what kind of benefits have you seen from being on board
1: with them? Or even well, SCI I think or first,
0: whatever it is, SCI or whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the that Colorado Wildlife Conservation Project that I referenced, Chris. Um, there's 23 organizations in that coalition now. Some with national representation, some with state representation, some with local representation. But the, but the the conglomerative effort of getting those like minded individuals together in one room, and we meet we meet every other week during the regular part of the year and every week during the legislative session. And and how we did that was some of some of which was shaming, uh, some <laughs> of which was was, you know, I mean, call, calling people out and say, when the hell are you going to get on board and, and when you're going to activate, um, some of which was out of necessity that either we saw or they saw. Some of it was collective mindset to where you realized that we are not each other's enemies. And, and, and more often than not, you know, through the historical times that I've been alive anyway, you know, bow hunters have been in opposition or odds with load hunters and, yep. and houndsmen have been in odds with trappers and, and with everybody, and, you know, up the, burners. yeah, everybody's, everybody's fighting for, for their territory. And I think one thing that I've done personally is, you know, we, admonishing or belittling our rank and file is not the best tactic. However, if you get somebody aside after they after they speak in public, uh, or they or they do a presentation for a wildlife commission, or they or they testify for the state legislature, they're there collectively with you guys. But the first thing that they do is they get up and they and they say, I'm a bow hunter. Right. And or or, or I'm a houndsman, uh, or I'm an elk hunter. Um, and I don't want you to take this away, and this is the reason why. If they would get up first and foremost and say my name is such and such John Doe and I'm a sportsman and I really like to bow hunt because what we've done is segregate ourselves unintentionally
0: you know what app I use on my phone more than any other app besides the podcast app to listen to this here podcast I use onyx Onyx Maps is the most comprehensive mapping system for hunters on the market today. I use it all the time. When I was in New Mexico, I was looking at 40,000 acres of ranch that I needed to learn. I flip open Onyx and just start studying, studying the map. When I'm riding trails, I put the tracking app on. It helps me get around in strange country. I could mark water sources, food sources, bear sign, just all kinds of options within onyx you need to check out onyx maps by going to houndsmanxp.com click on the link on our sponsor page you'll go right to onyx maps and when you check out enter the code hxp20 and you will get 20 percent off of your order know where you stand with onyx Hey folks, there's a few companies that I want to recognize before we get to the podcast because they have already made a commitment to be directly involved and get behind this effort that's going on in Colorado to defeat the animal extremists out there and keep responsible science-based wildlife management at the forefront for managing our wildlife that we as hunters have paid for. Those three companies, let me run through them. I might even mention four here. All right, so the first one is Freedom Hunters. I'm very proud to partner with Freedom Hunters and be the coordinator for outdoor adventures and hound adventures for Freedom Hunters. And it's easy to get involved. You send me an email and say, "Hey, I'd love to take a America's Veterans on a hound hunting adventure," and we'll get you hooked up. It can be as simple as a day in the field rabbit hunting, uh, lion hunting whatever whatever you're into we can get a veteran to you and you can show them why we love to do the things that we do and make a big difference in their life. The next company that I want to mention is Cajun Lights. I called LW on the way back from New Mexico told him what was going on in Colorado and he said sign me up I am in for whatever you need and we're going to be doing a lot of cool stuff with with Cajun Lights coming up to generate the much-needed funding for this multi-million dollar fight that we're going to face in Colorado. If you're shopping, check out Cajun Lights. If you need a light, obviously they have those, but they've got all kinds of other dog supplies that you need as a houndsman. Everything from Garmin to kennel supplies, it's all on their website. They've got hunting attire. They've got coats. They've got vests. I mean, I just check them out, folks. you got to see how much stuff they offer, and they are supporting you. So shop with people that support you. Uh, the next, next organization is the Horses, Hounds, and Mules Sale. If you uh, heard us talk about that, we dropped some podcasts. I didn't get to go, but Seth made it there, did a lot of coverage on the Horses, Hounds, and Mules Trey Naramore, talk to him on the way back. We're working on some projects there to and they're gonna help raise funds to fight this initiative 91 in the state of Colorado. All right, who else am I missing? Oh, I know somebody. How about dogs are treed? Kevin and Nancy Hall. You guys have seen them at your Western Field trials. You've seen the tieouts. We've done YouTube videos. We've done stuff on their uh, hydration systems, paws are protected top of the line products for you as a houndsman and they are more than happy to to support us and you houndsmen in this fight in colorado so make sure you check them out and you can find all of these organizations companies whatever you want to call them on our website at houndsmanxp.com go to the sponsors page or partners page and that link will take you right to their website. Support people that are supporting you. Let's get back to
1: the podcast. No different in my mind. And this is maybe a bad analogy to some, but a good analogy to others. You know, I just came from a from a Rockies game yesterday, a Colorado Rockies game that we had a suite in for the Colorado Wildlife Council, and we had a few senators and, and commissioners and 60 different people in there from different organizations that, that we support and that we work with. And we we are sportsmen. And we are Americans. And when people get up and turn around and say, I'm an African-American or an Asian-American or Latino-American or whatever, I think it automatically creates a divide, just like what we've done on the sportsman side of things. If you talk to an animal activist, they say, I'm an animal activist. They don't give a crap what what they're activating against.
0: Yeah, they're not saying I'm I'm, I'm a PETA supporter. I'm a HSUS supporter. They have learned that uh, the enemy of my enemy is still my friend you know yeah they've embraced that a lot better than hunters have we are so tribalistic and we break that down even within the hound hunting community i'm a bear hunter i'm a lion hunter i don't listen to the podcasts that talk about you know western lion hunting because i want to hear coon hunting stories blah 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 i hunt walkers you hunt blue ticks you know it's it goes on and on we've we've been conditioned in america to be in our own silos and be tribalistic and and that is not a
1: plan for survival in the future not in this landscape because you know there was there was some information put out not too long ago that indicated something to the effect and this isn't verbatim but the average sportsman is a member of seven different sporting related or habitat conservation organizations but we are outnumbered on the on the landscape about 20 to one when it comes to organizational representation from those anti-type hunting groups. And and but the but the kicker is those anti-hunting groups uh are pretty much members of two or three individual groups. So they they dedicate more time and effort to two or three specific organizations. Now, some might be members of five and some might be members of one. You know, I can't tell you how many damn magazines I get a month and how many life memberships that I have. Right. Uh, but I get counted about 12 times or 13 times for every one of those when it's only really one of me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and our opposition gets counted about 10 times, but it's really only maybe five or six of them. But they outnumber us so substantially, we have to figure out a way to make sure that when I'm talking about a white-tailed deer hunter in Illinois or a coon trapper in Indiana or an alligator harvester in Florida, we're doing the same stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and we just, we, we've we divided and conquered to where we don't put as much value into everybody else's problems because it doesn't affect us. But when that other guy is gone and that other avocation is gone, now it starts to come back in our wheelhouse and it affects us. Right. We are not united as a whole. We, we, have, we could be the most powerful bunch of individuals when it comes to a sector of the community because of the passion and the drive and the money and what we do for the landscape and the influence that we have. We divide and conquer ourselves more readily, unintentionally. We don't intentionally do it. It's just, it's part of human nature, the way we act.
0: So how much, how much value is there in that, Dan, or are we hurting ourselves by diversifying and putting our membership in so many different things? Talk to me a little bit about that, because um, you kind of, you kind of threw me for a loop there. We are being counted multiple times, but are we dividing our attention too much? Are we... What are we, What? what's your advice on that?
1: I I think, I think representing yourself as a, a hunter or an angler or a sportsman or a woman is the first and foremost thing, not only to unite ourselves, but to make sure that we don't get subdivided by our enemies or ourselves for that matter. Um, we're, we're, we're in a position to where. I mean, we have a team. We just don't know what sport we're playing sometimes and what positions we're supposed to play, I think. And and uh, you know, you would you would be surprised how many people didn't show up to our state capitol on February third, twenty twenty two on a mountain lion and bobcat related issue because they didn't heart they didn't pursue bobcats or mountain lions. And they're like, it's not gonna affect me. I'm like, well, right. who the hell do you think they're gonna come to when they get rid of this? and and we 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 won that 4 to 1 when we were supposed to lose 4 to 1 and we sent them back into their hole for a little bit the antis back into their hole and uh and and people that started to see the relevance of uh landscape participation started to to you know get engaged that's that's actually when that Colorado wildlife conservation project was formulated on the eve of that Senate Bill 31 and within 2 months we had 20 organizations and and that's how we built that coalition up and and I, I mean the representation of those organizations is probably somewhere in the neighborhood of two and a half to three million people if you take collectively their their entire membership level
0: break that and, break that down for me again and and give me the name because i am struggling with that i i've got the colorado predator and, or trapper and predator hunters association but that's just simply one organization that belongs to a bigger organization
1: I want you to break There's one that organization. Coalition, once, down. Yeah. So, so the Colorado wildlife conservation project was formulated in late January of 2022 uh, to immediately build a coalition on top of what we created with the Coloradoans for responsible wildlife management, which is the lobbying organization that we formulated. So some of those other groups didn't want to jump in on the lobbying side because They're again, their bylaws, their charters, their tax status theoretically doesn't allow them to do so, but they could be part of another coalition to stand hand in hand, locked arms to be able to utilize not only their logo, but their gravitas and their expansion on the landscape to get other individual organizations on board to say, you know, look, if you're going to screw with us, you're screwing with us, you're not screwing with them. And we're going to sit on the sidelines and walk. Yeah. Uh, It's us. And I think that that's the team effort that needs to be built on a broad scale. And I'm not saying we're bulletproof by any means because we're under more significant attacks and assaults. You know, the bigger, better, meaner, faster, stronger that you give the impression of or that you become, the more that the opposition is going to bring to your doorstep, Mm -hmm. uh, which is what they're in the process of doing now. But we're more prepared now than what we were two years ago. And we've been. Undefeated, and we're and we were more prepared two years ago than what we were five years ago. But the assault and the attack continually gets bigger. But but that in, at the same time, Chris, empowers us, and and creates relevancy on the landscape because now we got other organizations jumping in and going, hey, I, I think we need to be part of this. Hey, we want to listen into this and see if we can join. Hey, what's it take to participate on some of these things? None of those groups were doing that previously because they didn't think it was their fight because it wasn't in their wheelhouse. All right. How did you do it? Uh, we got to get down to
0: how how this organization was formed, how it was pulled together, what it took to get there. And I think you said something that I want to address real quickly, because Naomi Hurst talked about it a few weeks ago on this podcast, was the um, lion bobcat lynx hunting senate bill and was that thirty senate bill 32 and 2022 is 30, that what it
1: was? That was that was 31 and Sen, uh, senate bill 31 and 2022.
0: 31. yeah so that was defeated so that's a reason why you need and that was a, a a shocker to me i was listening to it online i was watching the comments i was i was watching all of this and i thought wow you know that this is going to be a bad deal and it came together and uh I've got some other thoughts on it but um it was a victory. And so let's talk about what a good job looks like. But how did you get ever did and I don't want to keep saying you, but how did your you know CRWM or or come together and bring this project to the forefront? Cuz quite honestly, I mean Trappers aren't known for um their bigs Influence, their swing of influence, and things like that. You would think that a, an or, some of the other organizations would have been leading the charge on this. Just tell us how it all came together.
1: So I'll, I'll go back several years. In 2019, HSUS and Wild Earth Guardians submitted a citizens' petition to the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission to ban the harvesting of bobcats, period. And That was with a new governor appointed commission, 11 different commission appointments that we were told that we would likely lose seven to four or six to five, and we won unanimously 11 to zero. That was in, that was in March of, excuse me, May of 2019. They came back at our doorstep in 2020, uh, but COVID hit. So we were forced to go virtually like you and I are today. And I didn't know how the hell we were going to turn around and replicate, duplicate something that we did the year before, when we put 400 people in a room and convince those commissioners that that was the right thing to do. Uh, we won that 2020 decision online unanimously with the governor's particular commission mm-hmm. uh, 11 to zero. They came back to us in 2021 uh, to the commission to try it again and uh we were out of covid but the the meetings were such to where you were going to have to you know wear a mask and do social distancing and all the stuff uh they backed out 3 weeks before because they saw the undeniable effort that we were putting together and they'd already had their asses kicked for 2 years um and they they don't like to lose i mean cuz it's not it's not a, right. a money making generating opportunity for them so they pulled the petition in 2021 uh, because I think that it, that it was it was pretty evident that they were going to lose. And, so, and w- one thing that's interesting about this whole scenario is they were losing not only with this governor's appointments, they were losing with the attorneys that were now commissioners that the governor appointed that used to be the attorneys for the Humane Society of the United States and Wild Earth Guardians. It was their attorneys that used to represent them in state and federal court and and they were still voting against them no kidding so they they went back to the drawing board and then in january of 2022 they went to the state legislature so the coalition that we had built in 1920 and 21 was a more of a ragtag coalition underneath of the umbrella of the coloradoans for responsible wildlife management and when we did sign on letters and stuff we would get logos from different organizations all of those other organizations that that eventually became the other organization the Colorado Wildlife Conservation Project so we were we were kind of the umbrella we were getting everybody's logos we were doing sign-on letters we had coordinated testimony and and input 2022 came along and we I mean we didn't know what we were going to be able to do that was to be relevant enough at the State capitol. it's a different landscape going from a commission to the Capitol right and and it's going to be a different landscape from the from the capital to a about initiative. But we put 355 people at the Capitol in in uh, February of 2022, still under COVID restrictions about social distancing and so forth. And uh, it wasn't a guilt trip. It was, it was countless hours on the phone and driving around the state and talking to individual organization leaders and saying, now's the time. If you think that what we did before was enough, you're mistaken. And we need not only your people, but we need your people's people. And if it's not all of them, we need some of them. And if it's not the, the key players, we need representatives of those organizations. Well, I'll tell you what, Chris, you're a houndsman. Houndsmen like snow. Right. And on the eve of February 3rd, it was four below zero in Denver, and it snowed about 18 inches most places around the state. Great big giant blizzard hit. And I had the houndsmen all across the state calling me that we had connected with going, hey, Gates, sorry, but we're not coming. It snowed and, you know, we're going lion hunting. And I'm thinking, well, you dirty bastards, uh, if, if, if if you're going to turn around and sacrifice uh, the opportunity to fight for what you're going out to engage in, are you really caring enough to be able to turn around and engage in the fight? And, and so without those other organizations at that point in time, you know, there was a lot of houndsmen that showed up, but there was yeah. a hell of a lot that said they were going to and bring other people and come in numbers uh, that, that they didn't because it snowed. I right. saw the resiliency of the people that care and I saw the lack of care for the people that didn't show up. And I tell you what, you know, that old adage that, you know, 10% of the people do 90% of the work can cannot be any truer when you go to the commission meeting or a legislative hearing because that's out of most people's wheels, wheelhouse and they don't want to engage in it. They're not comfortable uh, whether they go to testify or not. And they need to go to support. But each and every one of those organizations for the Colorado Wildlife Conservation Project bellied up to the bar, sent their people, sent their representatives, and the ones that couldn't make it still zoomed in to the legislative hearing to be able to testify. Right. And if you saw that yourself and you saw the remarkable output that we that we accumulated and the testimony that happened, we had people come from around the country still. We had people fly in during the blizzard. Uh, When we need that, whether it's in Indiana or Minnesota or Montana or Oregon, Washington or Colorado. Everybody needs to drop what they're doing and pick themselves up by their bootstraps and drive or write a letter or fly or get a van load of people or whatever you need to do because the antis show up in force, no matter what we you have to it, figure out are a there, way to make sure. Go ahead.
0: You know, What kind of, what kind of numbers are we talking about? You know, when you say that Houndsman started calling in and saying, Hey man, it snowed last night and I've got the opportunity to, to catch a lion. What do you think that did for your, um, for your presence here at the <laughs> state capitol? i mean
1: well we ended up with 300 half? uh probably cut it in uh by knocked it off by two-thirds no kidding it was a, yeah i mean we we had confirmation of eight to legitimate confirmation eight to nine hundred individuals from around the state that said we will be there my friend and i my uncle and i my next door neighbor and i my outfitter buddy and i my game warden and i we will be there and we ended up with 355 and it got to the point to where i would see somebody's number come up on my phone i wouldn't even answer cuz i didn't want to be pissed and turn around and chew somebody's ass and, <laughs> and, and 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 the 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 most debilitating part of that whole process was the day and a half before all the way up to the morning of when either the text messages the emails or the phone calls came in and overwhelmingly over freaking overwhelmingly it was it was individuals that were more concerned about one day of hunting than trying to save hunting overall. Now, the bad part about this is Chris, we won four to one. Uh, I was just
0: getting ready to say that. Go
1: ahead. Yeah. We won four to one, but the the 60% of the people that said that they were going to be there. And I haven't talked to every single one of them, but a lot, a lot of them have said, well, I'm, I'm glad I didn't need to be there. The hell you didn't need to be there. The, the, just because we won then with the showing that we did doesn't mean that that we're not going to have to do that again. And if we'd have had two or three times as many people there to start with, maybe it would have showed such optimal force that our opposition would think twice. They think that they lost by by a, a, the skin of their chin, chin, chin because, right. because it was still four to one. Yeah. We, we overwhelmed them at the Capitol with 355 people. Think what we'd have done with a thousand.
0: I was just getting ready to say that, you know, you, you have that kind of show of force to show up, especially in the weather conditions you had, you had. And houndsmen aren't scared of snow. I was scared no. of snow. I was going to, I was flying in there. Um, but I thought, man, I'm going to get stranded in Kansas city or someplace like that. And, Cause we leaned into it heavy when, when you guys were in the mm-hmm. middle of that fight, we leaned into it heavy. I contacted uh, a lot of different people and, and, uh, made them aware of what was going on and, and we did podcasts about it and things like that. But, um, I was planning to come and it's, you had that same thing and it's like, well, you
1: know, what am I going to do now? But, yeah, I, but, can also, but Chris, I can also, you're like you're like 15 hours away by car. I'm talking to guys that were two or three hours away by well, car. I was just
0: going to say that if I had a, a, but I, I would also think that, you know, if I had a, an epic mountain lion pl- hunt planned, you know, I drove through a <laughs> damn blizzard to get to the Swan Valley one time, you know? Well, so mm-hmm. I'm throwing myself under the bus here, but it's also a deal. There's no butts about it. You know, I just, I, I didn't show up, but, the thing i like what you said you put a thousand people on the steps of the capitol and you you lock up traffic downtown you you you've got to make it inconvenient and a headache for the legislators inside that hall and the committee members in that side that hall because they got to look for overflow they've got to look for overflow rooms because they can't have people standing outside when it's minus four they don't want the liability They've got security issues. They've got parking issues. They've got all these other things that are going on. And now all of a sudden they're like, man, we don't want to go through that shit show again. So the next time this comes across our desk, we're going to say, not today. We can't do this again. We're just, we're still reeling from 2022, but now we're looking at, we're looking at this thing rearing its ugly head again. We're looking at it rearing its ugly head and,
1: and, and on, on the, the coattails or the heels of our victory, you know, we were shut down substanti- substantially just as everybody else was because of COVID. I mean, you can only do a certain amount. So much of this became a Zoom component. You and I probably wouldn't be doing the same type of thing if if we hadn't had COVID. I mean, it would have been, you know, some other format. Yeah. But, but you know, we for quite some time, we've been running and utilizing the opportunity for the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation Sportsman's Legislative Caucus at the Capitol. And I help MC the monthly meetings for that caucus with our representatives in the state legislature, both in the House and the Senate and both on the Republican Democratic side. And and so every year since right before COVID, we've done Sportsman's Day at the Capitol and we've been fortunate enough to have decent enough weather. But we put we put three or four hundred people on the steps of the Capitol and we feed the legislators and all the sportsman community a wild game feed um this past year it was on April 27th and I think we fed almost 500 people had great weather uh, but we're building relevancy with all of these other organizations to be able to do that at the Capitol we also do a legislative reception the first first two weeks of the legislative session we do the le- us le- legislative reception and we feed wild game and and have this uh interconnectivity with legislators that are so inclined that want to pay per- attention and participate in the caucus this last year in January this year. uh, We had 34 of the 100 Colorado legislators at that reception. We have the largest attended caucus in the Capitol. Uh, All of that, all that being said is fantastic compared to what we used to be, but it puts a crosshair on our back and a red dot on our front because of this administration and because of the way Colorado has changed. And we saw no other way to be able to do it than the, to try to escalate our presence on the landscape and try to cast a broader net.
0: Yeah, but how do how do you do it, Dan? Because, I mean, uh, legislators shy away from things that are controversial. They want to be in their safe space. They want to be able to appeal to everybody and get everybody's vote. They're and So I want to really be able to talk to the guys that are out there at the Eastern Idaho, um, Houndsman Association and New Mexico Houndsman Association, New Mexico's next on the list. I'm just going to give everybody that, that prophecy right now, New Mexico's coming. Um, but, but how did you do it? I mean, how do you get 34, have the biggest caucus, do all this stuff that you're doing there? Show us what that entails. How do you get that done? Cause i know there's people sitting out there that are like we couldn't even get you know 20 people to come to our last association meeting
1: so how well, do they pull so all the this biggest, together? well the biggest thing is it's it's countless hours it's passion it's a chip on your shoulder i think it's pride and it's it's building relationships and that's not only amongst your own organizations but that's actually extending an arm and an olive branch to like-minded individuals that come off the landscape that represent your particular state uh you know when legislators you know get elected for the most part they are ignorant on the landscape when it comes to wildlife natural resources unless they come from that background and I would like to say that you know Colorado is a complete blue state every elected office we have in this state is blue there is no red there's no pink there's no purple if you went to buy us as a crayon box, you'd get you know 128 colors of, of different shades of blue, right? Uh, and and so we are outnumbered in the in the House 49 to 16. We are outnumbered in the Senate 23 to 12. And we still get bipartisan support on some things, not all, depending on political aspirations and so forth. But we still get bipartisan support, and and that happens by walking up to somebody or having legitimate full-time representation from a lobbying perspective at the Capitol, which we do. We've got those three lobbyists. Um, And and then making sure that there are representatives of our organizations are part of that conversation, that those legislators feel that we can be an, an added bonus or a resource on things that they're not familiar with. Now, they might reach out to us, or we might have to reach out to them, but they know that we're a legitimate resource, and we're talking about the cause not about my wants, wishes, and desires. The cause is the North American model of wildlife conservation. The cause is sustainable stewardship of our natural resources, no matter what landscape that we come from. The cause is making sure that we have water and clean air and habitat and wildlife resources for all generations of Coloradoans and visitors alike. Those are things that we've built upon to make sure that we create a message that is consistent with people that are not from our side of the fence. They're not from our landscape. I mean, somebody who lives in Denver that was just elected to the state legislature to represent a district that's going to vote on all of our stuff has to have some knowledge about some of the stuff. Who are they going to get it from? The antis? Are they going to get it from us?
0: All right. So I keep I keep trying to boil this down and boil it down. So what you're saying is that to be effective, then you have to have your messaging down in a way that is undeniably, uh, valid and can be supported on a wide base. So when you, instead of a hound organization approaching an issue, like we want more opportunities to run our hounds, or we want to keep the opportunity to run our hound. We, you are approaching this problem as, hey, this is the North American model for wildlife conservation. The very first precept is wildlife is a public trust. So it, it goes for everybody. If you want to come to Colorado to look at Buffalo or elk Lane in Estes Park, this satisfies that. And tourism is a huge deal in Colorado. If you want to hunt, this satisfies that. If you want to be a wildlife photographer, we, we can check that box off everything we are doing is for the greater good of wildlife because it's science-based and it is it is a valid proven model for sustainable wildlife for all users into the future so instead of us looking at oh i want to trap more i want to elk hunt more i want to be able to deer hunt more i want more land for me 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 i want to be able to hunt, run my hound more days for me you're saying i'm doing your messaging is we're doing this for everyone, for wildlife, and that's why you need to be involved,
1: exactly. Mister Legislator. And then, and yeah, Mister Legislator, which then in turn uh, reflects back to their interactions on the landscape landscape with their with their constituents. When their yes. constituents come in, at pro or con of something, for or against something. The legislator has to be educated enough about that. And I don't care whether you're talking about roads and bridges, healthcare, abortion, gun rights, drug schools, wildlife, that the, 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 they're not experts on everything. Just they're just elected officials like you and I. Yeah. And and for them to understand the important things that affect everybody from a from a management perspective. The North American model is something that we can champion. Now our adversaries are trying to take it away. They're trying exactly, to, you know, subdivide it. They're trying to they're trying to just knock it off the map. But when you give a fact driven list of issues that legislators can investigate for themselves, there's countless countless examples of the North American model. Because why every every state has a, some sort of a game and fish agency or a wildlife natural resource agency. Yeah, that's part of the success. I mean, you explain Pittman-Robertson and Daniel Johnson and you explain federal tax excises and you explain where license fees go and what what happens. They start to understand. You know how many legislators I've talked to in the last 10 years, Chris, that, that did not understand that license fees paid for Colorado Parks and Wildlife or it used to be the Division of Wildlife. Why? Right. Because they were just elected in the last year or two. They didn't even know there was a sportsman's caucus. They didn't even know that we were doing that. You know. Hunters and poachers were the same in their mind. Exactly. In the Same sentence. They didn't know. They're no different than talking to the UPS guy, and no disrespect to UPS guys or the florist or UPS the UPS
0: favorite, My favorite guy that drives my driveway.
1: Yeah, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's, there's, there's, but there's people that don't know, don't know, and the reason they don't know is because they don't know. It's not because yeah. they're stupid. It's they're ignorant on the subject matter, and to that point. A significant amount of our sportsmen are ignorant on the subject matter. They reference the North American model. Ask them to give you three of the seven tenets of the model, and I'd be damn surprised if they could do so. Ask them to to tell, tell you who they voted for in the last election and who their senator, their state representative, or their county commissioner is. If they can't do any of that stuff, they don't know what the model is, how do they argue on behalf of anything that we're trying to advocate for? Exactly. I, yeah,
0: you know, it's the sportsman's Alliance has been dropping, uh, going state by state and dropping how many hunters a state has, how many dollars they generate, they're doing, uh, that impresses me that they're willing to, to, you know, put that time and effort to dig deep and find that information and then get that message out there. And, and the reason I think it's valuable is it, it helps us build that narrative to be able to talk to legislators and it, it it's blown people away. When I've taken the information that the Sportsman's Alliance has put out the last year and presented that to people that didn't understand hunting or the funding for wildlife or anything like that, they're like, Are you serious? That much money? They don't it's it's so anytime that we can do that, and we know that that dollar signs get the attention of politicians and bureaucrats so it's our job it's our job as a a hunter to be able to talk about these things in a way uh that that helps our cause and it's imperative i i know there's tons of people out there that are you know shaking their fists and and beating the wind with their fists because they think they're not getting anywhere in in the in our hound hunting community that are in leadership positions but how much of an advantage would it be for them to step back and look at their messaging and the real the real cause and maybe go through and and do a tune up on on what they're doing?
1: Well, I mentioned it earlier in this conversation and and it's a it's a big difference when you when you're talking about a wildlife commission citizens petition and then stepping up to a legislative effort and then working into a ballot initiative whether it's a whether it's yeah. a state ballot initiative or a uh city or municipality ballot initiative which mm-hmm. denver is getting ready to face this november on on the uh, on a fur ban that would right. ban the sellability of any fur product including fly tying stuff you know tied flies beaver felt hats uh, you know, you name it. I mean, the, so there's a big difference, and I think Sportsman's Alliance, uh, Howl for Wildlife, that has come up in the last uh, two years over out of California, they all have uh, a particular vested interest in the fight, and and they all have their their technique and their mannerisms and and their and their task at hand of what they're trying to accomplish the problem is that every when you get into a legislative side of things, for the most part, every state has similarities, but there's differences as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: there's specific practices that you can or can't do or that you should or shouldn't do. or in the example of Colorado that that legislators find that is not a resonating message for them to consider. I'm finding out that that for instance, the call to action letters that you see every organization kick out now, they want to barrage everybody's email box, you know, their inbox with with um, uh, opposition letters and so forth. I, I just be frank with you. You know, I I sat in a in a suite booth yesterday at the Rockies game with a couple senators and, and, and good friends with them. Uh, they'll tell you when I get four to six thousand emails a day. And, and it's on fifty five or sixty different subject matters. You think I got time to sit and read all that stuff? I look at it. I look at the the subject line, or my aide, or my intern does it, right. and they and they recognize it and they click it, and and that's that's I mean it goes into a yes or a no box, yes or a no box, yes or no box. But they're not reading all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. What they want is this the sympathetic and empathetic handwritten. This affects me, Senator, because I am such and such. Now, what I will tell you, it's becoming more and more deaf on their ears. That when they start hearing things from Belize and Argentina and New Jersey and Florida and Minnesota and California, they're talking about their constituents. They're not talking about these right. people in these other states and other countries. And, and so while it, while it looks like it's a force to be reckoned with, I'm seeing more and more legislators not find that to be as uh, relevant to their decision making process. They want to know from the people in their district and the people in the state that this is going to affect, not Mm -hmm. somebody's opinion or emotional component that come to the the conversation. So to change the narrative on how some of these organizations enact and engage with, you know, potential stakeholders or constituents or whatever, I think we have to figure out a way to to be more bullet pointed, more concise, and be able to put those those outreaches, missile-like outreaches, to either geographical areas within the state or within the state boundaries as a whole or we're going to lose ground because the opposition has figured out a way to do that and they're doing it more directly and concisely and that's where I see that our we're we're not going to be able to keep up at this level if we don't adapt and modify pretty damn quick
0: yeah well, I I've certainly been one of those people that sent letters I've you know, the uh, sent emails and different things to to Colorado, to Montana, to New Mexico, Arizona, um, and at some point you gotta want, I've, I've sat there and I've thought, okay, do they just think I'm a bot, you know, that's that's pumping this stuff out, uh, it's. It's a scary time ahead with, with artificial intelligence on the horizon and AI and being able to generate this sort of stuff. But at the same time, uh, we've got to be able to stay involved. So what would be your, uh, advice for somebody like me in Indiana that, you know, cares about what's happening in Colorado? I understand that, that your legislator that you vote for that represents you it's going to look at your interests, not mine, because I'm from Indiana and not Colorado, but how can I stay involved or, or continue to be involved in these sort of things?
1: So, so I guess first and foremost, I would recommend, you know, we all want to engage and get our opinions out at different levels. And while I might be concerned of what happens in, in uh, Pennsylvania or Ohio, I've never hunted there. So I don't have any, I don't have any experience to be able to, you know, represent myself in that capacity, but there's a lot of people that have in Colorado or Montana Mm -hmm. or Wyoming or Utah and vice versa. There's a lot of people here that go back and hunt the Eastern States as well. I would, I would ask people either from Sportsman's Alliance or Congressional Sportsman's Foundation or any one of the other groups to do some sort of a, a tutorial outreach to their membership and say, this is my opinion, Chris. The best way that you can engage in these confrontational opportunities, if that's what you want to call them, uh, would be to find out, first and foremost, what county you go recreate in, in that state, mm-hmm. or what district you represent when you go there. You know, you're, you'll say you go to Vale, and that's, you know, you hunt um, a game management unit 481, uh, you're concerned what's going on in Colorado as a whole, but figure out, you know, where you hunt or where you've hunted or where you want to hunt. And you find out who that Senator and that representative is that is in there. It's not a big of a task. All you to do is look it up anymore. I mean, hell I could find mm-hmm. anything out about you, but well, my damn Senator. Um, and, and find out who that person is. And then when something comes up, you can already have something lined up that you, you know, who the people are and you say, Dear Senator Will in, in Senate District Five, um, while I am not a resident of the state of Colorado, I recreate there. I own a cabin there. My relatives live there, and I go I go visit them, or I hunt there. And I have for twenty five years. And I've and and if you do that, and if we did that, I guarantee the anti's aren't doing that. Right. Why? Because they don't engage in any of those activities, and nobody's trying to take their crap away when they go to some other state because they don't kill anything. You know, nobody's going to try to turn around and take them, take Disneyland away or, or, right. you know, the <laughs> sea world or anything. So, so if we did that, knowing full well, and I'd like to get into it real briefly, but knowing full well, when you have ballot initiatives that come up or legislative issues that come up, you write the legislator in the area that you go recreate or that you go travel to, or that you have a residence in, or you got relatives in and, and reference your engagement, and your connectivity to the state. I visit. I spend my money. I will continue to come if the state allows me to do so. If it doesn't, I'll be forced to look other places. My relatives depend on this. My relatives engage in this avocational activity and, and give them an idea of of some sort of personal value that you have, as opposed to, I don't want you to take this away, but I've never been there to turn around and utilize any of it.
0: Yeah. And I don't
1: plan to either,
0: but it's wrong. And I I don't plan to, I I saw on Facebook that they needed help. So. Yeah. yeah. You know,
1: I mean, put some connectivity because I will tell you, excuse me, that 10 of those letters from non-residents would resonate and and compute to a thousand or fifteen hundred or two thousand or twenty five hundred of those push your damn email button letters that they get hundreds of every single day.
0: Right, right, yep. That's sure. building an armament. Well, Dan, I don't want to cut anything short with you, but I know you you are a busy, busy guy. So I, I just want to take a couple minutes here. Let's. I would like to hear, uh, give you the mic and and tell let you speak to the leadership of our yeah. hound organizations in our hound hunting community and give them maybe the top three things that they can start doing right now to be more effective as an organization leader for their their membership and and how to how to gain that influence what are some some top bullet points you can give them
1: well first and foremost chris um the workings are in progress as we speak to have one, if not two ballot initiatives that the entire state will vote on in November of 2024. And the wording that would be used in some capacity would be to protect native big cats in Colorado. Mm -hmm. And that that is a complete ban on the harvest of mountain lions and bobcats And as they put in their language links, which are endangered and federally and state protected, (laughs) right, but, but but as they did on Senate Bill 31, back in 2022, they included links in there because it's, it's, it's emotional driven and it's it's eye catch. And, uh, you know, like we're out there, you know, killing endangered species, but, um, the, the biggest thing that I can say, of what we're going to deal with in the next 18 months. And how people engage is if you know somebody in the state of Colorado, whether they are a mountain lion pursuer or harvester or they trap and they harvest bobcats and predator call or whatever. If you know somebody, reach out to them and, and ask them who their representative and who their legislator is. Mm-hmm. Don't do it two months before the general election in November. We need sufficient input to build up through this next legislative session, which starts the first week of January and goes through the second week of May. Now, the legislators are not going to probably be able to pull anything off as far as the ballot is concerned, but the legislators have to know about the concerns of people referencing this particular initiative that that would essentially uh, juggernaut the antis into a, a snowball effect around the country. It's not about Colorado. The first step is Colorado. Yes. You know, they've already done California, Washington, and Oregon. Yes. What we've got, what we've got to deal with in Colorado, they're using this as a sounding board and a launching pad. And if people around the country or in Colorado, if they're listening to this, don't start to activate, motivate, and engage on their own now, it'll be too late once the signatures are gathered. And they start spending hundreds of thousands of dollars a week on anti-hunting campaigns because the campaign will talk about mountain lions and bobcats. But I can tell you that we will not be any way, shape or form able to, to defend just mountain lions and bobcats. It's an assault on every single level. It's everything that we do at every single level. And, and for, the, for the general public to understand that it's not about one species. It's not about one method of take. It's not about anything that we're doing except for the cause of what we stand for and the cause of what the antis are trying to take away. The North American model of wildlife conservation is under assault. It's under attack. It doesn't matter whether you use a hound, Chris, or you use a beagle, or you use a lab for waterfowl or you turn around and want to utilize decoy dogs for coyotes. If you use a dog in any capacity, they want to take it away. If you use a bow and arrow, they want to take it away. If you use a muzzle muzzleloader, they want to take it away. Crossbow, take it away. Sure. I tell you, and if you even think that they're, if they're uh, not part of this equation, uh, they are in some capacity. Reach out amongst yourselves, reach out. To your communities, reach out to your organizations, reach out to your legislators and legislators that you know of everywhere else and and start to activate on your level. Start to activate on what you do, where you do it, when you do it, with who you, whom you do it. And I just, you know, I tell my buddies all the time get off your ass, get off your ass and, and do what you gripe about. We spend more time griping about this stuff that if we had just done it, we wouldn't be griping anymore. I, we I have to at, be able to be motivated ourselves.
0: I look at some of the posts on on social media, and I think it took you more time to make this rant on social media to a bunch of people that uh, are not influencers. They're not. They're not policymakers. Than if you would have written this same thing to your to your legislator. We're more concerned about about followers on Instagram with people who have no effect on our life have no influence on our life at all and yet we're not getting to know the person that's elected in our county state local and state governments that do have influence on our lives uh it's it's a crazy
1: world we're living in well and and i i gotta say i mean every every state's got their issues it's the middle of hunting season we're all trying to figure out a way to to engage in, in our recreational activities and opportunities that we deal with. And, and, you know, a lot of these hunting seasons started in, in middle of August and we'll go through middle of January. And then you got goose season and lion season and pheasant season and everything that goes on, people are trapping, Yeah, uh, we're doing all that. The antis are doing one thing. They're planning, scheming and plotting because they have paid staff. They have organizational efforts. They have an agenda that they're trying to accomplish. And they're taking full advantage of us going out and doing what we're doing and not paying attention to the stuff that they're doing. And we're trying to do it all. I'm still still hunting. I'm still going to trap. I still run a wildlife control business. But I'm spending 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week on this stuff, trying to activate and motivate and engage. You know, I feel like that the mitigator, arbitrator, litigator, I mean, you know, we're just, we're juggling so many things because our opposition, Is doing exactly what they want and that's moving forward a slow even pace trying to swallow up everything path along the way right for sure well dan
0: i appreciate your time man i I i'd really like to have you come back on the podcast tell people how they can uh get involved with the coloradans for responsible wildlife management and um, how they can support your cause and what they can do to to help you along here because 2024 is going to be an absolute shit show on all levels it's going to be a a national uh local all of it i mean there's an all-out assault on our on on our american freedoms and and i want people to know how they can support you guys and what's going on that ballot initiative is no joke it's going to set the stage and empower these anti-hunting groups in places where you probably think you're safe. But it, I'm telling you, it's a Petri dish. They're going to try it here. It's the next reasonable effort. So tell people how they can they can support you guys directly.
1: Well, I appreciate that, Chris. Uh, the organizational website is SaveTheHuntColorado.com. That will take you directly to the Coloradoans for Responsible Wildlife Management uh, we're trying to it, update give us that again save the hunt colorado.com okay and that's the organizational website that that people can go to find out as much as what we can put on there at the media time now we're not in the middle of our legislative session now and we don't know what bills will be launched but we try to keep people updated with information on that site it's got a good resource to be able to go back and look at the the component of the North American model and and what it does for all sorts of wildlife management in every organization. And then the Colorado Trappers Association is, is ColoradoTrapper.com. Uh, there's also Facebook and YouTube channels on those that we do some videos here and there that we're trying to broaden our horizon. I mean, we're doing national or a regional advertising, network advertising and so forth. So, uh, we, you know, we've got 21 to 23 things that are going to be on our doorstep in the next 18 to 20 months, either legislatively, citizens petition-wise through the Parks and Wildlife Commission or through ballot initiatives. And uh, we would take any support. But even if we didn't get it here, Chris, uh, I, would, I would plea with anybody who's listening to this, to support their local organizations, to support their national organizations. And that's much more than sending a $35 check in. And uh, and, and we all don't have, you know, thousands of dollars. We can do that regularly, right. but right, that's that's more than doing that. And that means talking to your buddy or your uncle, your your UPS driver or whoever, and, and start to build a concept because they sure talk about where they're going to go hunting. They sure talk about what they hunted. How about talk about how to save hunting? And, and save what we what we advocate for. And and if we do that, it'll it'll I think I think you can start a movement nationwide, Chris, that other organizations would see things that what we're successful on here in Colorado, but we're up against the wall like a redneck mother here. I tell you what, we we are we are in the, in a position of what other states are aren't having to deal with yeah at as broad a level even though it's they coming have to deal with man around. Look, yeah, it's, at, it's look coming. at
0: Kalispell, Bozeman, and Billings up in Montana. They think, you know, they, they had some wins with some hound hunting and some bear hunting with hounds. But if you look at the history, it,
1: it's coming. It's coming. Well, and, and 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 for the houndsmen per se, infuse yourself into these other organizations. Chris, you were part of our Outdoorsman Days event out here And we invited the United Houndsmen Association to do demonstrations and seminars and have booths and actually come to our banquet and do all the stuff. Why? Because a lot of the people that are here that hunt don't even know about houndsmen. Well, how do you engage with houndsmen if you don't engage with houndsmen? And that's one thing that we were very institutionally trying to accomplish, you know, a comprehensive component of activation amongst ourselves. And I've had people reach out to me in the last month since that event, Chris, going, you know, I was thinking about getting into that. I never really realized that that was an opportunity. Or you saw the Rocky Mountain Big Game Recovery guys there, the the blood tracker guys that are are out there. It's dog use that, there again, hounds, upland bird, waterfowl, people need need to understand that everything is the same. It's just different. And we just have to figure out a way to make it the same. You bet.
0: You bet. Nobody
1: are
0: we, we've got to take our eyes off of our individual uh struggle and look at what's happening all across the board. And and that's why we produce this podcast. I'm glad there's people like you, Dan, that are out there fighting the good fight. I've heard nothing but uh, praises on your efforts and you're being effective. You know, we kind of started out, you know, Colorado's a lost cause, but we it is not a lost cause. There is no cause that's lost and and what you guys are doing so far so man kudos to you and thanks for taking the time to
1: share with us dan appreciate the opportunity chris um i always say this at the end of everything aim small miss small uh but uh keep keep me in the loop of what we need to do to help out and uh anybody's more than welcome to contact us um for their own personal stuff the association stuff or if they're coming out to this neck of the woods we can try to help them out as well
0: you bet you bet All right, well, I appreciate everybody tuning in to listen to this episode of the Houndsman XP podcast. Make sure you check us out on Facebook and Instagram on all our platforms. We're easy to find our website is houndsmanxp.com. And you can go there and find out how to support this show through Patreon, you're going to get a a sportsman's Alliance membership. When you join us at the, the $12 level, that's $144 a year. We're giving you half of that investment back and benefits every year. Plus you, uh, or every month, uh, every, yeah, I'm sorry. Every year, plus you're included in all of our monthly drawings and things like that. So, and it's all for the exact same thing that Dan's talking about right here. It's putting our money where our mouth is. It's putting our efforts out there and driving our stake in the sand to say enough is enough. We got to come off the mountain folks. We got to get involved in this fight. It's not going to go away. And we can't have 10% of the the population doing the work for all of us. And uh, I think at some point we have to ask ourselves, how long am I going to be a freeloader? And just take advantage of people who are willing to put in the work and and do the heavy lifting for us so that I can get one more day of hunting. What's it going to take? Thanks for tuning in to the Houndsman XP podcast. This is Fair Chase.